It's uh, Matthew 26. We're going from verse 31 on to, uh, where was it, 46. Yes, it'll be up here as well. And this Bible verse really gets me. So, yeah, <laughs> hopefully it does you too. It's like the calm before the storm. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here. Keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face. Sorry. With his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, May this cup be taken from me. Yet not my will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? This is what he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father... If it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Morning, everyone. Great to be with you this morning. My name's Mark. If we haven't met, um, keep your Bibles open to chapter 26, which we just had read. That'll help you to follow along. There's also to help you follow along. Uh, hopefully, if you've got a service leaflet as you've walked in, there's an, an outline on the inside of that, just to give you a bit of an idea of where I'll be going and to, to take notes if you want. I remember in high school watching the movie Rabbit Proof Fence and just being shocked at the, the tragedy of the events of the stolen generation. Uh, the shame that this happened in my country and not even that long ago either. Children being taken away from their parents. It just, it seemed so wrong. It was so wrong. There's something precious about the, the parent-child relationship. And part of the, the punch, if you like, of the Easter story is that it involves the tearing apart of a perfect relationship between a father 
and his son. This passage that Paul's read for us gives us just a glimpse of what it meant relationally for Jesus to die for us. It shows us the great love that God has for us in sending his own son to die in our place, to bear our weakness at great cost to himself. So let me pray as we begin. Father in heaven, thanks for your word. Thank you for this deeply moving passage that we've just read. We, we ask that whether we're hearing this for the first time or the, the 500th time this morning, uh, that it would be speaking heavily to each of us and that you'd be helping us to come away with a greater understanding of who you are. Amen. Just hoping that's not my phone. As we approach Easter, we're, we're spending some time in Matthew's gospel, in the, the back end of Matthew's gospel, looking at the events um, of Jesus' death and resurrection and uh, the events immediately leading up to that as well. Last week, uh, we heard from Matthew chapter 26, we heard Jesus tell his disciples that the time was near for him to be handed over and crucified. And so from that moment, the countdown to his death and resurrection has begun. And this passage that we've just read here begins with a declaration of human strength. Point one on the outline, if you're following along. A declaration of human strength by the disciples of Jesus. Jesus tells them in verse 31, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. You will all abandon me. And Peter, who seems to have been the most passionate of the, the disciples, fires up at this. He says to Jesus, I won't. Even if all of these guys abandon you, I never will. You can rely on me, Jesus. To which Jesus replies, Peter, you're going to disown me three times tonight. No, I'm not, Peter declares. I'll never disown you. I'll die before I disown you. Me too, the other disciples declare together. But of course, this declaration of human strength is followed by the reality of human weakness. If you know the story, you know that as we read on, the disciples flee when Jesus is arrested. And Peter will disown Jesus three times before the rooster crows, just as Jesus has told him he will. But even before all of this happens, their weakness is already on display their inability to, to stand by Jesus in this hour. Now we see as we read from verse 36 onwards that Jesus leaves most of his disciples and he goes on with just three of them, with James, uh, with James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee, and with Peter as well. Why does he take these three, I wonder? It's probably partly because these are the, the three disciples who he seems to have invested in the most throughout his ministry. They're, they're the three that we hear about the most. But they're also the three who seem to be most confident in their own strength. Peter, we've just seen, has declared that he's prepared to die with Jesus. James and John, if we go back to, to chapter 20, they're the ones who are, are wanting to sit at Jesus' left and right-hand side. And Jesus asks them, are you prepared to drink the cup that I must drink? And they say to him, yes, yes, we are. They're confident in their own strength. But as Jesus goes off and prays in anguish about what he knows that he must suffer, 
they can't even stay awake for an hour. Three times, Jesus leaves them to watch and to pray, and he goes off to pray, but he comes back and he finds them not watching, not praying, but sleeping. And I reckon we can empathize with the disciples a little bit here, can't we? If you're here as a Christian, you, you know that you'd love to live perfectly for Jesus. But it just doesn't happen, does it? We mess things up in our lives. Our weakness gets in the way. And whether you're here as a follower of Jesus or not, I'm sure we can all think of times where we've come painfully face-to-face with the reality of our own weakness. When we've realized that I'm not the person that I want to be. I'm a broken, imperfect person. And right at the heart of this brokenness is what the Bible calls sin, which is when we don't give God the rightful place um, as the focus of our love and our life. It messes messes us up relationally. It messes up my relationship with God, my relationship with the people around me, and just with myself as well. Because we're not living as God created us to live. But the good news is that the story doesn't end there because Jesus bore our sin and our weakness at great cost to himself. And it was a terrible burden for Jesus to carry. Look at what he says in verse 38. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And it's because of this cup that he must drink. Now, a cup is used quite a bit in the Old Testament, and it's used as a metaphor for God's wrath. So the nations that reject and disobey God will drink the cup of God's wrath. That's what we're told many passages in the Old Testament. And there'll be great suffering. So this cup is what our sin deserves. Because our sin is a rejection of God. It's pushing God away. But it's not us drinking the cup here, is it? It's Jesus, the sinless son of God, who drinks it, who endures the full extent of God's rightful anger against human sin. The one person who could never have deserved it is the one who endured it. This intense sorrow that Jesus is feeling here and expressing in his words, it's not simply because of the physical pain that he's about to endure, though crucifixion is a horrible way to die, and Jesus knows that. It's because he's carrying the full weight of sin. He's enduring the full judgment of God. Now, my parents were always fair and loving to me growing up. Um, They did give me the occasional smack, though. I realise that's a bit of a contentious issue, everyone's got different opinions on whether kids should get smacked or not, to put that to a side, because I reckon I deserved it every time. But I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy it. And as I think about it, I don't think it was the physical pain that hurt the most. It was the fact that this was my mum or my dad, who I knew loved me very much, and yet here they were hitting me. Whatever I'd done, it was enough that these people that loved me were hurting me. It was a relational pain, more than a physical pain. 
Jesus' death was unique, and his anguish in the face of death was unique because it was a severing of his perfect relationship with his father. The father and the son had had existed together in perfect relationship with the Holy Spirit as well for all eternity. But now, as the son asks for this cup of suffering to be taken away from him, the father is silent. On Good Friday, we'll hear that on the cross, as he hang there dying, Jesus cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? He's not only been abandoned by his friends, he's been punished by his father. For the first time ever, his father isn't with him, but against him. Jesus knows that it's impossible for this cup to be taken away from him because there's no other way for us to be made right with God, for God's plan to be fulfilled. No other way but Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully man, fully God, the only one who could both represent us and make a sacrifice that was perfect, enduring God's judgment and dying in our place. This was the way it always had to be. And that's why we're told right at the start of Matthew's gospel in chapter one, before Jesus has even been born, that he will save his people from their sins. It's the reason Jesus came. And as Jesus hangs on the cross dying, those who watch him will taunt him and they'll say, didn't he say he was the son of God? Let God come and rescue him. And if there was a way for God to rescue Jesus and to save us, he would have. But there wasn't. So he chose to save us. In the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the good news of Easter that if your trust is in Jesus, your sins are forgiven. You're declared not guilty. That relational barrier between me and God that I could never have overcome in my own strength, Jesus has bridged that by his death in my place. It's great news. We're weak, but Jesus bore our weakness. And so we can bring our weakness to our Father. It's the final point on the outline, if you're following along. Back in Matthew chapter 6, we looked at this here about a month ago, if you were here. Jesus taught his disciples what we now call the Lord's Prayer. And there are a couple of really powerful echoes of that Lord's Prayer in this passage that you might have noticed. Firstly, in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, lead us not into temptation, And here in chapter 26, in verse 41, when Jesus finds them sleeping, he tells them, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. So what's the temptation here that he's talking about? Well, surely it's the temptation that he's already warned them about to fall away from him. You're not as strong as you think, Jesus is telling them. You're going to be tempted to abandon me, 
So pray for strength. But it seems like they didn't. Jesus came back and they were sleeping again. And when the crucial moment comes, their own strength won't be enough. It's not a permanent falling away. Jesus has made that clear in verse 32 already. He said that when I rise again, I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. But it's a serious failure abandoning Jesus here. Now, if we're being honest, prayer doesn't always seem like the most necessary thing at any given moment, does it? I know that when I wake up each morning, I have emails to check. I've got a a to-do list that's a mile long. I've got lots of things that I want to get on top of in life, lots of things that feel a lot more productive than praying. But by not making prayer a priority, what I'm saying is, it's okay, God. I've got this. I'm strong enough. I'm trusting in my own strength. The thing is, though, strong Christians pray because they realize how weak they are. Like the disciples, our spirits are willing, but our flesh is weak. And so we pray. It's a bit like when we we charge our phones. We're, We're connecting into a vastly greater power than we have on our own. Prayer comes from a posture of of weakness and humility. We're saying, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. And the Bible is clear that we don't live in a spiritually neutral world. Every day we're, we're bombarded from all directions with temptations to reject Jesus, whether that's in big ways or ways that might seem just small. Ephesians chapter 6, it's a great passage uh, where Paul is talking about putting on the armor of God to, to withstand the schemes of the devil. He finishes with the instruction to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, not just praying for ourselves, but, but praying for other Christians as well, and to be alert. I heard someone once use the illustration that prayer is a bit like being at war and having a sort of a, an intercom or a walkie-talkie uh, that you can call for reinforcements when the fighting is getting tough, uh, when you know that you're too weak for the enemies around you. Now, if I was to, to track the, the strength of my prayer life over time, like how, how much I'm dependent on God in my prayer on, on a day-to-day basis, I'm sure what I'd find is it's, it's the times when I'm feeling most weak, when I'm feeling most helpless. They're the times where I've been most dependent on God in prayer, they're the times when my prayer life has been going strong. And I'd imagine for most of us, it's probably fairly, a fairly similar story for most of us, give, and take, give or take. The thing is, I'm always weak. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, I'm a sinner in need of God's grace to be saved and with so much in my life that I have zero control over all the time. I just realize it sometimes more than others when, when circumstances make it obvious to me. So prayer needs to be a regular and indispensable part of my life because I'm not strong enough on my own. You're not strong enough on your own. Do you believe that? Does the, the regularity and the, the priority and the depth of your prayer life Reflect that. 
perhaps a, a conscious understanding of your own weakness is something that you need to be praying for regularly. Just to make sure that prayer is, it's not something that we're doing just to, to tick a box and say, we've, we've done that today. But something that we're hungering for, something that if we haven't done it, we feel it. We know that we're, we're missing out. That's something that we're being driven to do regularly. And the second echo, the first echo is lead us not into temptation. The second echo from the Lord's Prayer, your will be done. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, your will be done. And in this intensely difficult time of his life that we see here, Jesus practices what he preaches. Verse 39 here, we, we see the complex tension between Jesus as being a person like us and yet the perfectly obedient Son of God. Now, humanly, Jesus was about to endure something horrific, something that he would love to have been spared. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And yet, he still submits to his Father's will, not as I will, but as you will. It's hard to sincerely pray for God's will to be done sometimes. I know I'd, I'd much rather just pray for my own will to be done and know that it'll, it'll be done, which is okay as long as I accept that God's will may be different to what mine is. It may not be what I want at that very moment. It certainly wasn't what Jesus wanted at that very moment. When we talk about God's will, it's not something that God immediately delights in either, but it's what God ultimately knows is best. Did God enjoy watching his son suffer on that cross? I, I don't think he did. But he knew that it was best. He knew what the end picture was. And so we can submit to God's will, knowing his great love for us that was shown on that cross, and knowing the end picture of the sure hope that we have, knowing that Jesus' resurrection from the dead is a guarantee of eternal life for all who have trusted in him. So here's a question. Why bother praying if God's will is going to be done? Seems to be a bit of a question that comes out of this passage. Well, God's will is so often to work powerfully through our prayer. Sometimes that will be in ways that we ask for and sometimes not in ways that we've asked for. Some of us here were at the, the hot cross bun wrapping night that we had on Tuesday night at the McLeans. It was a, a great night. Uh, we heard some really encouraging stories from a few members of, our, of both of our gatherings about people who have shared the good news of Jesus with others and the way that God has worked through those interactions. We had a real, a real range of, of stories. And one person who shared talked about some amazing ways uh, that God had worked in the lives of people she knew, fantastic ways in which, which God had been showing himself to people. But she also shared about just how much prayer had been going on behind the scenes with all of these friends. It wasn't just God doing great things. It was God answering the prayer of many people for these great things to happen. God delights to answer our prayers. Prayer helps us to express our dependence on God. It helps us to acknowledge our weakness and to acknowledge God's strength and to glorify him in that way, to come to him as a child coming to their loving father. 
And God uses our prayer as well to align our will with his. As we, we learn more and more to pray for God's glory, for God's honor, for God's will to be done, we find that, that more and more the things that we truly want, they become more and more in line with the things that God wants. We find that our will aligns with God, that we delight not just in having things immediately go well for us, but to delight in seeing God being glorified, in seeing God's will being done. And we don't pray to a, a distant, uncaring God. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4, we read these wonderful words. that In Jesus, we have a great high priest in heaven interceding on our behalf. A high priest who empathizes with our weaknesses because he has been tempted in every way just as we are. That's what we see in this passage in Matthew 26, the way that Jesus shares in our temptations. And yet he did not sin. And so when our times of need come, and they will, we can approach God with great confidence. Jesus submitted to his Father's will. He bore the weight of our human weakness for us at great cost to himself. The cross shows us that we come before God weak, but so dearly loved we can, and in fact, we must bring our weaknesses before our loving Father, trusting in his gracious love and his perfect will. Let me pray for us. Father, it's so humbling to read these words and to read what Jesus endured for us, even before he was nailed to that cross, the great anguish that he went through uh, with that relationship between him and you being, being severed on that day, so that he might drink the cup that we deserved, so that we might be able to drink the cup of life with him. Please help us not to take that for granted. Please help us to come before you knowing how weak we are, and yet how dearly, dearly loved we are. And pray that the cross would show us that clearly, both our own weakness, and, but also your great love for us, and that we'd be able to rejoice in that and that you would help us to live lives that bring honour to you in response, that you would give us the strength we need to live for you each day. In Jesus' name, amen.